0: Uh, before I preach on any given text, I normally will search through the archives to see how I preached it three years ago when it came up in the lectionary or at any other time in the past. And uh, to my great surprise, I-, I found that I have never once preached a sermon on John 3:16. Uh, the very words define my ministry, and yet I have yet to dedicate a sermon to this text. Uh, You might think it is an obvious softball, but as I wondered why I've never taken a swing, uh, what became obvious is that it's a lot easier to whiff on this one than you might think. Uh, It's easy for us as we look at John 3.16 to get lost in vague notions and try to put into words how great God's love is for His people. Uh, When even John, uh, who writes down this conversation, couldn't do that. We, like him, simply need to allow Jesus to speak for himself. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him uh, should not perish but have eternal life. What does it mean, for God so loved the world? We do have lots of vague notions that, well, yes, of course, God loves the world. But what does it mean that God actually loves the world? Well, we know, because of what the Bible teaches, that God loves the world because we are sinners. Uh, There is nothing inherent to us that makes God love us. Uh, We don't bring anything to the table. Uh, He doesn't look down from his throne and think, how adorable. Uh, He has every reason to dislike us, to cast us off, and yet he goes to such great lengths to prove his love for us. He will not be thwarted by our wanderings, our self-righteousness, our opposition to him, our hate toward him. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, You are in Christ Jesus. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, preaching one Sunday morning to his congregation in London, said this about the love of God. If you desire to see the love of God in this great procedure, you must consider how he gave his son. He did not give his son, as you might do, to some profession in the pursuit of which you might still enjoy his company, but he gave his son to exile among men. He sent him down to yonder manger, united with a perfect manhood, which at the first was in an infant's form. There he slept, where horned oxen fed. The Lord God sent the heir of all things to toil in a carpenter's shop, to drive the nail and push the plane and use the saw. He sent him down among scribes and Pharisees, whose cunning eyes watched him, and whose cruel tongue scourged him with base slanders." He sent him down to hunger and thirst amid poverty so dire that he had not anywhere to lay his head. He sent him down to the scourging and crowning with thorns and to the giving of his back to the smiters and his cheek to those that plucked off the hair. At length, he gave him up to death, a felon's death, the death of the crucified. Behold that cross and see the anguish of him that dies upon it and mark how the Father has so given him that he hides his face from him and seems as if he would not own him. The cross tells us how fully God gave his son to ransom the souls of the sinful. He gave him to be made a curse for us, gave him that he might die, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. For God so loved the world, how do we know that God loves the world except that He gave the most precious thing in His life, Jesus Christ, in order to prove His love for us? Who among us could do such a thing? God's love for us is not a spur-of-the-moment decision on the part of God. He doesn't think, well, today I might love the world, but in fact, Jesus Christ is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. He shows us His great love by sending His Son into the world at just the right time. And though we received Him not, His love did not diminish. It was not thwarted, but sought us out with determination. And yet... This is just a general idea of God's love for the world. What Jesus tells us today is that his love is also specific. It is personal to the believer. It is not vague. It singles you out. This is the whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life of the gospel. He seeks to rescue you. As Martin Luther says, this is the prote of the gospel, that God is for you, that this message of the cross is for you, that as he is born and walks his perfect life and as he carries the cross to Calvary, he is thinking of you. You are on his mind. It is true to believe that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but you should also know that he came to save you. Jesus calls you by name. Do you know God's love personally? Do you know the depths of his mercy and his grace for you in your station of life? How well he knows the feebleness and frailty of your frame. He doesn't just look out. At a blob, I think I've told you this before, when I first started preaching, I wore glasses, I wear contacts now, although I'm wearing glasses this morning. And so when I would preach to sort of get me over the hurdle, I would preach without my glasses on. I could see my text, but it was easier preaching to a blob. (laughs) And yet, God has singular vision, and when the word comes, it comes to you. He looks at you. And his word is for you. Paul writes to us this morning in the book of Romans that Abraham believed. And it was reckoned to him... His righteousness. What did Abraham believe that was reckoned to him as righteousness? Well, what we know is that God implanted faith in the heart of Abraham so that when he was called out of Ur, he could go with faith. Though not knowing where he was going, he allowed God to lead him to a promised land where his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And here we are, the children of Abraham, by faith, sitting in a church in Birmingham, Alabama. God fulfilled his promise. But an even greater test of faith, a testimony of God pouring his message of love, the prote of the gospel, into Abraham's heart, is that God asked Abraham to give up his only son. You see, he had promised Abraham and Sarah a son. They hadn't had one, and they were so far along in age that when God said, I will give you a son, Sarah laughed. Be careful when you laugh at God. And as they entered into that promised land, to the area called Moriah, there was a mountain. And God said to Abraham, take your son up to this mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham said, nothing, except that Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. You can imagine what was going through Abraham's mind as he chopped that wood, thinking of his most beloved son, the most important thing in the world to him, a gift of God, and now God was asking to take it away. On the third day of thinking about it without end, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey and I and the boy, my boy, will go over there and worship and come again to you. Even here he speaks in faith, trusting for God's intervention. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went both of them together. You can imagine on that road up the mountain, Abraham averting his face from Isaac, anguish, tears, knowing that these are the last moments with his son and yet not able to enjoy them. And just when he thought his heart would burst, Abraham receives a word from Isaac, and Isaac says, My father, here am I, my my son. He says, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Then his heart explodes. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. My son. And so they went, both of them together, and with a knife poised over his son. God intervenes. And behold, there is a ram stuck in the thicket, will stand in the stead of Isaac." What a powerful story. What is often lost in this story is a little bit of biblical geography. Fast forward many, many, many years later. Now this hill in the middle of the area called Moriah, it has another name. It's called Calvary. It is the very hill that Jesus Christ would carry the hardwood of the cross up, and where God would give up his very own son, because he loves you. This is not uh, some crazy coincidence of facts. This is not uh, cosmic child abuse. But these are the ends to which God will go because he loves you to adopt you as his son and as his daughter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is such a clear and simple articulation of the gospel. And to those in the church who say that, well, the gospel is so much more than this, I point them here to Jesus himself in John chapter 3, and I say, praise God that there is nothing more than this. It cannot be improved upon. The word of God himself proclaims his word of love to the world he loves and dies for. When Karl Barth, the great 20th century theologian, made an academic tour of America to colleges and universities and theological seminaries, uh, one American student, and we're famous for this sort of thing, stood up and said, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest thought that has ever passed through your mind? Barth paused for quite a long time as he obviously thought about his answer. Then he raised his head and said with grace and childlike simplicity, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. This morning, if you are looking for some sign, some affirmation that God loves you, hear these words that fall from the lips of God himself, Jesus Christ, who says, I love you. See the man, Jesus Christ, who died for you and was raised from the dead, so that now nothing can ever or will ever separate you from the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.